Good morning. I don't know if you know this or not, but a requirement for poetry is one of those hats. (laughs) So we'll be selling some hats in the back. Instantly, inspiration just flows down. Thank you guys again for coming out and sharing with us. We want to do this and develop this even more as time goes on. Uh, Other ways of expression, it's uh, just a beautiful thing. And so, hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope you guys will be out there Friday. Now, I want to ask a question as we're going into our series on perspectives. Are people good or are people bad? Where does your mind go with something like that? Maybe if you've grown up in a church environment, it's been, you know, all have fallen short uh, of the glory of God, or there is not one that seeks the Lord. No, not one. There's maybe verses that you've heard that have brought an impression to you concerning human beings, whether they're good or they're bad. And we can look at examples. You know, you can look at the Adolf Hitlers, the Stalins, the Pol Pots, those who have been just uh, dictators and awful, uh, horrific in, in what they've done to humanity. But then you can move over to the other side and see an Oscar Schindler or Mother Teresa, those who have done incredible things to be helpful to people. And you start weighing, and what do you say? Okay, there's more of this than that, so I guess we're like, we're, and then where do you go? It just depends on the people you know. They did a study in Harvard to try and determine the nature whether children are good or bad. And again, maybe you've heard things that, you know, all kids, if they were old enough and strong enough when they were babies, they'd kill you to get a bottle. You know, they would, (laughs) a baby bottle, you know, as (laughs) things change. But they did a study, and what they did is they had like this puppet show, and this was with children that were just old enough to be able to start interacting and relay their thoughts on what they see. And so they had a puppet show of this character trying to go up a hill. And when the character was going up the hill, they had another character that was trying to stop them from going up the hill and then one that was trying to help them. And all the kids who saw this really liked the one that was trying to help. And then they even added a neutral one. So there was one who was trying to stop the guy from getting up the hill, one that was trying to help the guy get up the hill, and one that was just sitting there doing nothing. And the kids still chose the one who was trying to help. It was something that they saw and they said, I like that. And so based on these studies that they're doing, they're seeing that there's something inside children that wants to see good take place. And maybe you can remember when you were a child and wanting or having this hopeful just anticipation of the future, just being naive with wonder and expectation. Even in a lot of the things that were shared this morning through the spoken words, you see so much going back to that childhood, those innocent days, those days when things were so much easier and more free. And maybe 
there is something that we can learn from who we were, but even more so something we can learn from how Jesus sees people. So that when we think of our perspective and how we view people, it can be one that is helpful to us to move forward. Remember, perspective is the capability, the capacity to view things in their true relations or relative importance. And so how you see people is going to be really important to how you interact with them. You guys know this. All of us, when we see someone, we immediately start making judgments. They're not out loud. We keep them inside. The way they dress, oh, they must be a gangbanger. Or, oh, they look like they're into this. And we don't say it out loud, but we always start putting people in the categories that we can identify with. And so you see someone, oh, that guy's clean cut, he's white, he's middle class, this person, whatever else goes on. My wife and I would not name our children when we were giving, going through the idea, what are we going to name our kids? There were certain names we just stayed away from because of the memory of someone we knew. You guys know that? I ain't naming my son that. Because that kid was a punk. And so now when you hear that name, whatever name that is, your mind goes to a place and goes, Hi, my name is Sam. It's like, I know a Sam. (laughs) And we automatically start coming up with these ideas and these judgments of how we see people and how we think about what people are or how we are going to communicate with them. And I think this has happened even more so in the faith community and in those who are followers of Christ, at least in my history. There's been a a big dissection. In fact, I had one pastor who would say it this way. He'd say there are saints and there are ain'ts. And that's how he saw the world. Saints and ain'ts, you're either going to heaven or you're a crispy critter. (laughs) He would say things like that. And then I started thinking, yeah, that's how it is. But is that how God sees people? You're either with me or you're out. That's it. Well, Jesus did say you're either for me or against me, but he was talking to the religious people at that time. How did Jesus see people? Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Verse 1 gives us the scenario. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's this diverse group of people, tax collectors. We were talking about them last week. They weren't looked well upon, not like today where we all admire tax collectors. They they were frowned upon. They were thieves. They stole the money from people, kept a lot of it for themselves, and then gave some of it to the Roman government, which was their oppressors. And, And so this is part of the crowd. So you've got these thieves. You've got these people who are probably shepherds, farmers, who are working with their hands. And then you've got these religious elite, these people who are a little bit more well-to-do, a little bit more educated, and and they're all together. And, And so the 
Pharisees, the educated ones, the religious ones start muttering because Jesus is hanging out with these sinners. In fact, he's eating with them. Now, sinners, that context alone, when you think you're a bunch of sinners, where does your mind go? People who do terrible things, they're they're sinners. And, And that was their idea. It was looking down upon you as not being good enough. And so the religious people looked at the other people as ain't. You ain't got enough goodness in you to get to God. You ain't got what it takes. You're a thief. You don't have knowledge of the scriptures like we do. You don't know. You ain't got nothing. They didn't talk like that, but trying to do my spoken word thing. (laughs) And so that's one perspective of who these people are. And Jesus perceives that, and then he gives us God's perspective. Verse 3, then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in an open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so Jesus starts this conversation, and it's amazing because he starts the conversation with them. He doesn't go and start quoting from Genesis. This is what God says. He starts with the people and gives them this imaginary scenario. Imagine one of you had a a sheep that got lost. Wouldn't you leave the other ones that were safe and go look for them? And now he's getting the people to start shaking their heads. And so they're like, yeah, I'd go do that. And probably even the Pharisees are saying, yeah. And now you see the Pharisees are actually saying, yeah, with the tax collectors. Oh, no, we're in agreement with something. Yeah, I, I actually would do that. And then Jesus pushes that and he says, God looks at these people as lost sheep. And then to push it even further, he gives them another illustration in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins, so maybe these Pharisees didn't get their hands dirty with sheep, but maybe they did get their hands dirty with money. They had ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Again, you can see them all shaking their head. Yeah, 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 you do. A silver coin, that's valuable. Yeah, you would search for it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so Jesus brings this focus and perception of how God sees people. And you see, the way God sees people is supposed to be the way we see people. Because he sees people accurately. We see people based on that kid who was a bully 
and has the same name as this other kid. We have prejudice. We have conceptions that are based on limited information. God sees completely, and this is how God sees people. Doesn't see them as good, doesn't see them as bad. He sees them as lost. And when Jesus says over one sinner, his use of the word sinner has a different ring in it than that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees is you aren't good enough. Jesus is that you've missed the mark. You see, the idea of sin means just that. It means that you've missed the mark. What mark? What mark have I missed? The mark that God had imprinted on you with his character of who you and I are supposed to be. That child who says, I want the good guy to win. The mark that had the fingerprints of God on your soul. The best you that you can't quite live up to. You see, I I know this about you because I know this about me. and, And I know that we're more alike than you might want to admit. But I know that there is in your own soul and mind things that you know are right in how you should live. And I know that you do not live up to the things that you yourself think are right and know how you should live. And it doesn't matter if you are a believer in God, a follower of Christ or not. Every person has this goal of who they want to be. And every person falls short of the goal that they themselves know they want to be. Who puts that goal in you? Who puts that desire to be the best you? Who makes it so that you want to be the hero? You want to be the guy who helps them up the hill? See, I believe that's the image of God that you were created in, that I was created in. And I think Jesus sees us as potential, as enormous potential. So are you good or are you bad? You have enormous potential. Enormous potential to be good and enormous potential to be bad. But you have the potential. And when Jesus says, God rejoices over the sinner who is lost. The sinner is the person who is not living to the potential that God has created them to be in. The person who is now broken. And and sin isn't a you're an ain't. Sin is you're lost. And you need to be found. And so then Jesus pushes the story even further and more personal as he continues to give them this illustration. In probably one of the most beautiful stories, in verse 11, he says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. I can relate to that. They don't ask, they just say, give me. Not that you guys would do that, or my kids, right? So... He divided his property between them. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile... The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus now brings this story of how God sees people very personal. He talks about a father and he talks about a son. And as he goes on to this story, we see that the the wayward son takes all this money and he just has a party. He blows his money on wild living, even as his brother says, on prostitutes, just immoral living. So he's bad, right? He's an ain't. He he doesn't live right. He's not someone who God likes. He's he's not the person that we want to associate with. He's a bad guy. But when he starts to come home, his father is looking for him. And not only is his father looking for him, his father runs to him. Now, you have to understand, he was living with pigs. Pigs are unclean to the the Jewish mind. He was in the, the worst state you could be with. He was defiled. He was not acceptable any longer to be a person who could come into the presence of God in that condition. He was as low as you can go. 
But the father ran to him. You see, the father didn't see him as an ink. The father saw him as lost. The father saw him as dead and needing to come back to life. God's perspective of people are that there is potential, but it's lost. That there is potential, but it's dead. That what needs to happen is there needs to be a restoration in this relationship to the one who gives life, to the one who makes alive, to the one who is able to forgive and restore so that we can take that potential and move it now to a place of good. And that's how God sees people. You fill in the blanks what kind of people? You fill in the blanks. The, put in there the most awful things that you can imagine. Those people are ain'ts. Those people don't have what it takes to be a child of God. They're, they're not acceptable. They're sinners. How do you view that word? sinner is that what defines a person or do you define a person with potential you know i think one of the the biggest crimes that have we could indict on the christian community is how we have dealt with the homosexual community homosexual homosexuality is sin yeah it's a sin Is that how you see a person as a homosexual? Is that their potential? You see, they've done themselves a disservice too by making that their identity. You see, I don't see a person as just gay. They can still be generous. There can still be a lot of potential. They could still be people who are creative, who have potential to do good. The sinner is the person who is lost the person who needs to be found, they are not stuck and they are not defined by that. The fingerprint of God is still in them. Just like it was in you, just like it was in me. I don't want to be defined by my worst moments. Do you? I don't want that to be my identity. Do you? Or are we going to that place where we are like the Pharisees? You're a sinner. That's your identity. And Jesus says, you are lost. You need to be found. You're dead. You need to be made alive. God sees them as more. God sees you as more than you even see yourself. Because he sees you as his child who was lost. And he's looking over his shoulder and he's wondering, when are you going to come back? Man, if you would come back, steaks on the barbecue right now. If you're a vegan, you're a sinner. No. <laughs> God is postured towards you. God is postured towards everyone. And what God sees us as is how Jesus explained it. He doesn't see us as bad or good. He sees us as lost.
sees us as that child who knows the right way to go, but has lost his way. Knows the right things to do, but is powerless to do them. He sees the potential for good. There is a a sect, I don't know what else to call it, of Christianity that just sees people as depraved. And, And that's how it defines people. In fact, you're so depraved, you can't even choose God. God has to make you choose Him. But that's not how Jesus sees people. That's not how the Scripture talks about God's interaction with people. See, God walked, or Enoch walked with God and pleased God, and then God took him because he was a person who pleased God. God saw Job and he said, Hey, Satan, consider my servant Job. There's no one like him. This guy is good. And he put him to the test. The interaction that Jesus has with the people, the sinners, the prostitutes, those who are outcast, isn't one of degrading them. You guys are so depraved, you can't even come to me unless I make it so you... You don't see that conversation. What you do is see this conversation. If you're out in the field, I'll go and try and find you. If you're lost in the darkened corner of this world, I will sweep every ounce of it until I find you. If you're my son and you go and you just waste your money, your life, and destroy yourself to your shell of who you should be, I will still look for you and I will welcome you any time you will come to me. There is always the potential. The potential now is up to us. And how we see people needs to be how God sees people. We need to see potential. Oh, look at that lady walking the streets. Potential. Look at that guy smoking crack. Potential. Look at that kid stuck in the bar, in the the gutter. Potential. And I'll sweep and I'll look until I find them. And I'm not going to categorize them by their worst moments. I'm going to look for the best and pray that they will turn and make the decision to come home. Because that's the perspective we need to have towards people. Let's pray. Lord, it's so easy to judge based on the standards that we set. And we too often can be Pharisees and have our own criteria of what is acceptable and what ain't. And whether it's a a tax collector, a prostitute, a, a drunk, a drug addict, Lord, we set our standards and we can use the term sinners as not good enough, depraved. But Lord, you see more clearly. 
you see the potential. You don't see a person as just a drunk. You don't see a person as just a homosexual. You don't see a person by their worst. You see your image in them. And you want them to come to a place where they will see it as well. And Lord, until then, we're lost. Until then, we're dead. Unless you give us that life, Lord, we are without it. But Lord, there is that flicker there. May we fan it to a flame. May we inspire those around us to see how you see. And Lord, it's easy for me to judge someone else's kid and the wrongs they do. But when it's my kid, I want them to show grace. Lord, I want them to be merciful. I I want them to be compassionate. Lord, I stand for the law and I want it to be just held up until it's my son. And then I want the judge to show mercy. I want them to be lenient because that's my son. And I remember when they were a good kid. And I know that they have a kind heart or I know they have a generous spirit or I know they got hooked up with the wrong people. I know that there is still potential. Lord, may we have that compassion for other sons, for other people's daughters, for other people who are lost, broken, and dead. Father, may our perspective towards people be that like you. Because unless we recognize the value of people, we will never represent who you are. Until we see the potential in human beings, we will not be like you. Unless we love like you love, we will be poor examples to the world around us. So give us eyes to see people the way you see them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.